0: Jeff and the musicians have blessed us again this morning. Thank you so much for that. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and go to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. Our thoughts this morning in this passage will center around uh, what I've entitled the evidence of knowing God. There are a lot of people who say they know God but not a lot of evidence is always demonstrated. You say, well, what should it look like? What should a Christian look like if they know God? What should a person look like who has a real relationship with God? And John shares that with us in this passage. Now, knowing God and walking with God involves three critical components, and they're in the correct order as I give them to you. Number one is revelation. To know God Uh, God has to reveal himself to us. Man has no capacity in and of ourselves and our sinfulness to find God. Even a person who says, I'm going to search out God and see if this thing is true, will never understand God unless he reveals himself to them. In other words, unless he helps them to understand, makes it clear to them who he is. Now, there are two kinds of revelation God has given humanity there's what is called general revelation and we find that in things like creation. When I consider the vastness of the universe, my mind is overwhelmed with how great it is and God spoken into existence. When I think of the detail of a strand of DNA, my mind is overwhelmed and the detail of life itself. And so there's general revelation, and the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, that creation itself declares the glory and the majesty of God. And so creation declares there's a God, and yet we realize that there's a lost world out there who does not see God in creation when they should. But the type of revelation that is more important, I would say, to us being saved is called a specific revelation or special revelation. Special revelation is when God divinely intervenes in the affairs of man to reveal Himself. The Bible says He's done that in a lot of ways. He did that in the Old Testament through prophets and visions and dreams. Uh, I think when Moses was standing in front of the burning bush and it wasn't burning and God said, take your shoes off, that's pretty special revelation, right? I mean, uh, He's talking to God Himself. You know, God, who do I say sent me? Well, tell Him I am sent you. Uh, Special revelation, okay? Okay. Um, God's been doing that a long time. When Jesus Christ left heaven and took on humanity and walked around this earth, that's special revelation. God left heaven, walked around among men. The Bible is special revelation. That's how we know God. So knowing God begins with God telling us who he is. Now there is another component of knowing God, and if we get these last two out of order, it messes things up. The second one is intellectually knowing God, understanding, reading, studying. There are people who who know about God, who have a knowledge of God. In fact, Gnosticism comes from the idea of, of this higher knowledge of God. But just because they know about God doesn't mean they know God. Everybody follow me? Meaning they have a knowledge of God, and maybe they have a great knowledge of God. I have heard educated men and women speak of theological things in an educated way, and yet I can tell they do not know who God is. So you can have knowledge and not know God. Now the right order is to know God through revelation. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we gain knowledge of God in two ways. We learn his word, Second 2 Timothy 2.15, we study. And we learn his word. And then we also learn about God through experience as we walk with him. So we gain knowledge of God, but in the right order. And then finally, there's the uh, emotional aspect of knowing God. And this is the one that most often gets out of order. Someone will say to me, I know God because I had this tremendous emotional experience, this tremendous experience at this event. And so I know God. Probably not. You see... We know God through faith. Then we learn about God and what naturally follows the more we know about God, the more our hearts are broken over who he is and over who we are. So the emotions are natural. I mean, I'm sitting on the front row while they're singing this song, trying not to cry because I gotta get up here and talk. Emotions follow. Why Why would a person be moved at the truth of a song? Because it's about Jesus. And because, listen, if you know him, and then you're learning about him through experience and you're learning about him through, through his word, then naturally the human heart's gonna be broken when we realize who he is and who we are. And, and, and listen, I don't know about you, but the more I learn about Jesus, the more I realize about myself and I don't like me that much. The more I see how holy he is, I realize how sinful I am. And so those are the emotional parts. Now, there's a, there's a warning here We're not saved by intellect, we're not saved by emotions, we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. It is God's revelation through the gospel of Jesus Christ which is the power of God unto salvation. It is being saved by faith in Jesus and then it is growing in the knowledge as we walk with him and then having a passion which is the emotion part, having a passion to serve him. I would suggest to you too many people today get those things out of order. I know a little bit about God I have this great emotional experience every time I go to church because it's exciting, and so I must be saved. Mm. No, and I fear, I fear that there will be many who will stand before Jesus and he'll say, depart from me because I didn't know you. We didn't have a relationship. Now John talks about how we can know. You say, well, that's good, yes it is. Here's how we can know, beginning in verse three. Look at verse three down to verse six. John very clearly says here, now by this we know that we know him. Anybody not understand that? He said, by this, by what I'm about to say, we know that we know him. Here it is. If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse five, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him, matured. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Man, John John cuts right to the chase, doesn't he? The first thing he says here is this. The first evidence that we know God, the first evidence that a person could could measure themselves against to see that they're saved is obedience. He says in verse 3, by this we know that we know him. What? If we Keep his commandments. In other words, here it is. If we do what he says, the first evidence of of knowing God is that we obey God. Now, that doesn't mean that we become sinless. doesn't mean that we become perfect in our obedience to God. But what it means is this, is that if I'm saved, then God has created me to be a new creation on the inside. He's given me a new heart. And, what, and listen, he gives me new desires in life. The old man pursued sin. The old man desired selfishness. The old man desired my way, not God's way. The new man wants to obey God. The new man desires to honor God. The new man desires to be that person that God created us to be. Now, as Paul clearly said uh, in Romans, he fought the fight with the flesh every day. We always fight the fight. But here's the evidence John's speaking about. He's speaking about the fact that those who genuinely know God through a saving relationship in Jesus Christ have a habit in their lives of obeying God. Now that means a person who says I'm saved and they live like a hellion with no conviction, what does that tell you? What did John say? You don't really know God. You don't really have a relationship with God. Because if we know God, what? We obey God. Now, let me make this very clear. This is not a, this, this obeying God is not a legalism. This isn't a, a, a denominational, traditional uh, thing where the church says you gotta do this, this, and this. This has nothing to do with that. This has to do with the Word of God and how the Holy Spirit convicts us to put things out of our lives and to pursue holiness in God and to, and to obey Him. And listen, if God specifically says in the Bible, don't do this, What does that mean? Don't do that. I mean, if God said, don't do this, and you read it, and the Holy Spirit helps you understand it, then you go, I'm not gonna do that. That's obeying God. And if in the Bible that God said, God says, do this, what does that mean? Same as with my kids, right? Don't do that. You won't like it if you do. And do this, right? God's the word of God is the same way. And John said, hey, here's, here's, the, here's the first evidence that you really know God, is you want to do what he said to do and you want to avoid the things that he said not to do. So, so the question really very, is very clear in your life and those who are watching online, is that the desire of your heart? Is that how you live life? If not, then you really need to examine your salvation, period, it's very simple. We're not saved by what we do. Now listen, we don't do works to get saved. We don't don't try to obey God to get saved. No, we obey God because we are saved. And the converse is if we aren't obeying God, then we must not be saved, right? If it's not the passion of my heart, if it's not the thing that I wanna do, not perfectly, not sinlessly, but it is what I wanna do. Now, John ties that very quickly to verse four by giving the evidence of hypocrisy, the evidence of those who pretend to know God and they don't really. He said, he who says, then I know him, in other words, a person professes that they know God, that they're saved, and does not keep his commandments. Now, John gets really tough here. What does he say at the end of that verse? That person is a, a liar, and the truth is not in them. That's clear and uncompromising, isn't it? I mean, it's, John said, look, if, if a person says, I know God, and I'm saved, and he's my savior, but there's no evidence in their life at all that they ever obey God, that they ever desire to obey God, that they ever want to obey God. Then he said, they're a liar. No, they're not really saved at all. And then, and then he even gets heavier today. He so, said, and the truth is not in them. You know why? Because lost people are blinded to the truth. And he's saying the fact that they're blind to the truth is further evidence that they don't really know God because it is when we get saved that the Holy Spirit removes the blinder so that we understand what God's saying. I knew a man one time I've known many throughout my life, but this one particular fellow in the Navy, we were talking about God one day, and he said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I was surprised. And he said, you seem surprised. I said, well, yeah, I am. He said, why are you surprised? What? you know?" And, and listen, people get defensive in a hurry, don't they? i mean, going get really defensive about who, you know, what do you mean you don't think I'm saved? Well, d- since we're talking, you want the list? And uh, I mean, he's, he was living with a woman he wasn't married to. He's, uh, I knew he would come in every day at work bragging about all the things he'd been doing the night before, which were many in the Bible that remember the whole thing about if God said, don't do it, don't do it. Well, he was completely ignoring that. And and, uh, and, and, he, and he didn't go to church. I tried to get him to come to church, he wouldn't come. You know, listen, what, what was the evidence in this guy's life? I'm not to judge. He's gonna stand in front of Jesus one day. But John said, the Bible says, God, the Holy Spirit says, that if you claim to know God and you don't obey God, you don't have any desire to obey God, you don't care anything about God and wanna do what God said and avoided things God said, none of it. The Bible says you're lying. The truth is not in you. That's tough stuff to swallow this morning, isn't it? But, is it? but it is true. So I would suggest this morning, listen, salvation. Salvation is by faith in Jesus. But if you don't find any evidence in your life that you've trusted Jesus by faith, maybe you had an emotional experience. Maybe you had a, an intellectual understanding and you think you know all about God. Be careful because Satan and the demons know all about God and they're not saved. They have a really good knowledge about God and they know what's coming. They know things you and I don't know and they're not saved. So it isn't knowledge and it isn't emotion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ that makes you new, makes you a different person. And if you haven't become a different person in Christ, then you're not saved at all. Is it possible, listen, is it possible that there are men and women in the church, particularly in the 21st century, where church is all about how you feel and having a great time, who are having the emotional charge every week without the real relationship to God? I would suggest it's very possible and very dangerous. So John said, if uh, we say that we know God and, and we don't demonstrate it by our obedience, then we are not telling the truth. Now, the first evidence was obeying. The second evidence John gives us here is abiding and walking. Look at verse six. Not only is obeying an evidence, but so is abiding and walking. He says, he who says he abides in Him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now, what does that mean? It It means that if we're saved, then we are to abide in Christ. Now, abiding means where you stay. I abide in my home. I abide in in this city, in this place. It's where I I dwell. If we are saved and we abide in Christ, it's our permanent dwelling. Not in worldliness, but in Christ. And if we abide in Christ, in order to be the the habitual condition of our life to dwell in Him. Say, Pastor, what does it mean to dwell in Christ? Well, it means for Him to be the center of your life. It means Him to be the center of what I do of where I operate. No matter what I do in the world by profession, Jesus is the one I abide in. Now, if we abide in Christ, then he said we are to walk like him, like he walked in the world. How did Jesus walk in the world? In perfect obedience to the Father all the time. Jesus said many times, not my will, but his. Not what I want to do, but his. As he he prayed in in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if it's possible, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but what? Nevertheless, not my will, your will. Listen, if you're really saved this morning, if you really know Jesus Christ, then the desire of your heart should be to walk in the world like Jesus walked in the world. Now that's our desire. Now we fall far short. And I'm not preaching some kind of perfection Christian life here where you look at people and go, oh man, they got it all together because I'm gonna tell you, some people who look like they got it all together on the outside are all really messed up on the inside. But the point is, the desire of the heart of the child of God is to obey God, to do what he says, that's what you wanna do. And when we fail, when you fail and when I fail, we're sorry for it and it bothers us. And it bothers us because we offended God and we confess it right away and God forgives it and we move on. But the desire of the heart is to obey God. A man or woman, young person who tells me, I know Jesus and I love Jesus, and their life is full of every disobedience in the book. They're not telling the truth. They're not telling the truth. That's what John said. And then to abide in Christ and to walk in this world like he walked in the world, that should be our desire. What is the Holy Spirit doing to us as we walk through this life? He's conforming us to the image of Christ. And a child of God shall want to be conformed to the image of Christ. So John gives us two things here. Now let's summarize this section very quickly. We are, uh, we are not saved by our intellect. We're not saved by our understanding. Uh, this thing Gnosticism came about in the first century where particularly the Greeks thought they had become so intelligent about God and knew so much about God that they attained a higher level of understanding and they got closer to God. We don't get closer to God or get saved by what we know. We, We understand that emotion is not what saves us. People have told me many times, if I've talked to them, oh, pastor, I had this great emotional experience. I had this great experience in this, in this event or that event, and I just know that I know God now. Listen, be very careful. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. The understanding and the emotions come afterward. I would ask you this morning, very very straightforward, to take inventory. Those who are watching online, take inventory. You say, well, pastor, I've been around church most of my life. My mom and dad took me to church and, and, and I've been religious all my life. I have people tell me that I've been religious. I must be saved. No, no. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. You either have put your faith in Jesus or you're not saved, period. You either have trusted Jesus, ask him to forgive your sin and trusted him or you're not saved. There's no way to be saved through what you know. There's no way to be saved by how you feel. All of those things come after we trust Jesus by faith. Now, measure your life this morning, take inventory. Maybe somebody's watching online and you're sitting there and your life is full of disobedience and full of sin on purpose and living contrary to the law of God and it doesn't bother you. Maybe you need to take inventory and see if you're really saved. Sherry and I knew a lady years ago. Her husband had been a deacon in the church and um, upstanding man, he helped start a church. And when he died, his wife, Let's just say she left the reservation. She went to live with a guy and and got all tied up in all kinds of things. And Sherry and I used to drive around talking and thinking, man, how could how could a person do that? You know, how could her husband and she serve in the church so many years and, and then he got cancer and died and and then she just completely um, you know, walked away from the church and living in sin and open sin? And I, uh, even back then I used to say, well, you know, there's only one or two answers. Either she's, either she's a, really a child of God and she's like the prodigal son, she's run off and gotten in the pig pen and God's gonna bring her back at some point. I said, but if she never comes back, and to the best of my knowledge, she never did. I said, if she never comes back, that can only mean one thing. She was never really saved in the first place. And that's exactly what John said here. Okay, the evidence is obedience and the evidence is walking with God. now. The the third thing he says here, very quickly, is he says the third evidence is loving. How do we love? How do we operate in life when it comes to love and brotherly love, love and hate? Look at verses seven to 11 here. He says, brethren, now I like this, old and new commandments. He said, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Now listen to what he says. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Verse nine, he who says that he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Verse 11, but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, when you read that, you think, wow, that's a little convoluted, not really. I'm going to unconvolute it here for you, okay? John says, look, the third evidence has to do with love and hate. The third evidence that you're really safe, third evidence that you know God. He says it's about an old commandment and a new commandment. First, he says, I'm not really giving you an old, a new commandment, it's an old commandment. He said, this is, this is an old commandment that you've had for a long time. Well, in Leviticus 19, 18, God said this to Israel, he said, you know you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against your, your children of your Brebo, listen, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord." So we know from the Old Testament, there was the command that you love others like you love yourself. So John said, look, one of the evidences, the third evidence of, of knowing that you're saved is that you love like God loves, that you love your neighbor like yourself, you love those around you. I have a neighbor, many of you know, and I pray to God that one day they watch and know that I love them, I don't, I don't have any, any animosity to them, but man, they don't like us. She calls me names and she's really ugly. Uh, and listen, but I love her. I pray for them. I mean, if you ever turn on the TV by accident and see us, I pray for you, okay? I do pray for them. I pray for their soul that they get saved. Who, what would move you to do that? What would move us to pray for somebody who doesn't like us? To, to walk with God, to know God. Why? Why? Because God loved me. God loved me. And if God loves me, then I ought to love everybody. That's, that's how I see it, right? And so John said, look, the evidence that you know God is that you love. And then he said, but there's a new commandment. You say, well, wait a minute, John, I just thought you said it was an old commandment. Well, it's old and it's new. And here's how it is. Jesus, watch this now, listen. Jesus took the old commandment of love your neighbor and he elevated it. He said, not only do I want you to love your neighbor, but I want you to love your enemies. And I want you to listen. He elevated and he said, I don't want you to just love your neighbor. I want you to love others like I love you. A little different, right? You say, well, how did Jesus love? Well, I give you the epitome of that. We talked about it in our Bible study last week. Luke 23, 34. Jesus is hanging on the cross. They're killing him. He's an innocent man. And he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Man, that's love. That's love. To be hanging on the cross, an innocent man, knowing that he's taken the sins of the world and these who have spit in his face, pulled out his beard, beat, his, beat him into a pulp, smashed the crown of thorns down on his head and nailed him to a wooden tree. And he looks up at the father and said, don't lay this to their account, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That is love. That's love. Jesus said, I wanna take the old commandment and I wanna make it new. I'm gonna take the old commandment, which is true, and I'm gonna elevate it to a whole new level. I want you to love people like I love you. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew. Here's the new standard, Matthew 5, 43. You've heard it that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Do we love like Jesus? Do we love those who make us angry? Do we love those that irritate us? Does anybody ever irritate you? Not your wife or your husband. Are there people in life who irritate you? Are there people that bug you? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. What are you supposed to do with those people? Love them. What are you supposed to do with them? Be patient with them. Be kind with them. Be compassionate with them. Let me tell you where this would really get traction and where it really ought to have the most traction is in the body of Jesus Christ in the church. Listen to this very carefully before we finish up. I know you're going to find this really hard to believe, but it's true. Christians squabble in the church. They fuss with one another. This, this person falls out with this person and then they get mad at one another. And then they be ugly to one another. They fuss at one another. And they generally do it over social media, you know, like sniping at one another, writing things, putting stuff up, you know, this person's the most, Terrible person on the face of the planet, yada yada yada. How can this person be a Christian? How can this person treat me that way? And sometimes face to face, you know, they get an argument. Years and years ago, I had to, we had to separate two men in the parking lot out here who were about to get in a fight. And they had just been in church. And I'm like, come on, guys. I mean, at least act like you got something before you before you do that. Why, why do they do that? Well. Probably because they're not saved in the first place. Why? Because John said, if you know God, then you're gonna love like God. Can I I say to us this morning, and those who are watching online, if you're mad at somebody in the church and they're a brother or sister in Christ, don't be mad at them, love them. If you, you know what, sometimes the fighting and the squabbling will drive people away from the church. We want them to come, we don't wanna drive them away. And if you love somebody like Jesus loves them, no matter what they've done, then you're Christ-like, which is what God's called us to be. Listen, I, we're, all, we're all adults here, except for the little ones. They won't understand this. As adults, I meet people that I don't particularly like. Has that ever happen to you? I was in a meeting with a bunch of pastors one time and there was one particular fellow who used to pastor around here, and he, God moved him on, probably for my benefit, as far as I know. I don't know. <clears throat> but the fellow, he was arrogant, and, he, and he, would, he would talk down. The guy had lots of educational you know, initials behind his name, and he would talk down to people uh, who, who didn't. And it used to bug the ever-loving daylights out of me. And when we'd sit at meetings, I had, I had to sit there and pray almost the whole time we were there because he would say things and I would wanna go across the table and go, are you, slapped, are you completely out of your mind? But you know, I couldn't do that. The point is this, you're gonna meet people who may be brothers and sisters in Christ. You're gonna meet lost people for sure who aren't gonna like you. You're gonna meet lost people who are gonna make you angry and they're gonna offend you. And there are gonna be saved people that are gonna offend us. But what does John say right here? Listen, if we know Jesus, if we say that we know Jesus, you're getting it. The third thing is that we love like Jesus loves. That we have patience with people like Jesus has patience with us. Let me ask you something, does Jesus have patience with you? Sure he does, because we fail every day. And remember, Jesus is our advocate. He's at the right hand of the Father every time we fail going, I got that. I got it covered. He's mine, she's mine, it's okay. He's advocating for us with the Father. Can we not advocate for others who are brothers and sisters in Christ? Can we not even say in our brain, well, you know what, they're not being very nice right now and they're really on my last nerve, but I love them because Jesus loves them and I'm gonna pray for them and I'm gonna let God deal with them. Instead Instead of hating. And John says this, listen, if we love, then we give evidence that we know Jesus. If we hate, we give evidence that we don't know Jesus. And we certainly aren't living like Jesus. Let me close with this. John says this at the end, he said, light and darkness. He uses that illustration. Now remember, light is always referring to God. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus stood in the middle of the temple and said, I'm the light of the world. All who comes to me will walk in light and not in darkness. Darkness has to do with sin and lostness. And John said, the evidence of loving like Jesus is evidence that we're walking in the light, that we're walking in the understanding To walk in hatred is to walk in darkness. To treat people poorly is to walk in darkness. Let me tell you something. To treat lost people poorly because of the choices they make, because of what they look like and what they do is sinful. And we shouldn't do that. Lost people don't know how to do, but what lost people do. We have to love them like Jesus loved them. And when they get saved, guess what God will do? God will do all the cleaning up. God will get them all fixed up on the inside, which will change them on the outside. Do we look like Jesus? Let me close with this. If I were to go around the room today and say, hey, do you know God? Do you know God? Is it an intellectual knowledge you have? Is it some emotional religious connection to the church that you have? Or have you really been to Jesus and done business? Have you been to Jesus and said, God, I'm a sinner? And you died on the cross to save me and I need you to forgive me and I want you to forgive me. God, save my soul. Because when you know Jesus that way, the knowledge part and the emotion part comes in the right place. But don't get the cart in front of the horse. So this morning, what's your life like? What's your relationship to God like? Do you know him or do you not know him? Do you have a relationship with him or not? If you want a relationship with Jesus, you can have it right now. It's free. He paid for it. All you have to do is pray. And then you can learn about Him, And you can love Him, and have a passion about Him, and, and through Jesus Christ, you can learn to love other people, even the ones that don't like you. And you can love them in spite of them not liking you. Only God can create that in the heart of man. Do you want to come to Jesus today? Would you ask him to save you this morning? Let's pray. Father, this is a, a, a very difficult passage, Lord, because it really, speaks to shoe leather on the street and what we are and who we are. And God, it is in my heart a conviction, Lord, that I believe there are many men, men and women who say they know they know you, uh, but it's just a religious thing, Lord. It's just a knowledge. It's just what they heard and it's, maybe they had some excitement, and a religious encounter. God, maybe, maybe in their heart of hearts, there's no time in their life when they said to you, God, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus, I I need to be forgiven of my sin, and God, I confess my sin, and I ask you by all the faith I have to save me, save my soul, make me your own. God, that's how we get saved. Father, I pray for that one that's here this morning, that one who's online watching, that one who will watch the video later. God, if they do an inventory of their life right now, and God, there's no obedience in their life, there's no desire to obey you, there's no desire to be holy or to be separate, God, there's no desire to abide in you and to walk with you and to love others as you have loved us, God, then maybe maybe the problem is they're not saved at all. And I pray for them right now, God, that they would just take care of that and come to you in prayer. Bless this invitation time in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna stand down front while we sing a verse of song. If you examine your own heart and you say, man, I'm just not sure I'm saved, would you come? I'll I'll be delighted and privileged to pray with you this morning. Lord.